This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. All right, we are back after a week off. It's all right. You know, we're, we're here. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> We, we, want, we were waiting for it. Ed coming out of the, coming out of the gates, getting yelling at him. I got to address it right Don't off the mad. bat. We're here. I know, I know it was going to come up, but uh, we're here. We're back after the uh, the Blue Series, and I think we missed one Kings game, maybe? I think so. I think the last one we did was okay. the third Kings game of that four-game four, four game series. So. No, because they had that back-to-back, mm-hmm. so we didn't do, didn't do Friday or do we do Saturday? I don't think it's great Saturday. that we don't know. <laughs> I don't know. No, it's it's I been. I believe it's been so. a week, but where it's it's all right. We picked a good game. Ducks win three yeah. two in the shootout against St. Louis Blues. Plain spoiler, which I guess is all you can hope for uh, at this point in the season. The Blues would have clinched with uh, a win in any fashion. I, I actually don't know if they clinched because Minnesota lost anyway. But either way, we we prevented them from clinching at least for the time being. Now, that wouldn't make any sense because Minnesota was Oh, yeah, Vegas no, no, it's Arizona, them, right. So. Yeah, so maybe if yeah, Arizona, Arizona loses tonight, then then they clinch anyway, but still, yeah. Yeah. Well, at least we did our part. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've <laughs> we've missed not a lot, but we've also kind of missed a lot over the last three games. Um, you know, the, the big yeah. one, and we'll get to that in, in our kind of post-game topics, has been the emergence of Comtois, Zegris, and Terry as clearly – the most fun line we've had in probably the last two or three years, if not longer. Like they are dynamic, and they it, are fucking fun <laughs> to watch. <laughs> it, it makes you wonder. I mean, why he even got sent down in the first place? Like, I get it; they wanted to put him at center and not throw him into the fire in the NHL. But he was down there for what nine games, put up twelve points. Like, it, 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 yeah. And I find it hard to think that. You know, those nine games, he just discovered how to play defense and how to play, you know, center properly. This is a guy who's played center for most of his career. So, like, I get why they're doing it. But at the end of the day, we all know it was because they wanted to keep him from hitting that uh, one year off his unrestricted free agent status. I can't remember the exact years, but I think if they had him played him for a certain... I think it's like uh, 25, 26. Yeah, I think it was like 26, 27, if uh, the year 26, 27, if he was to play... Uh, over 27 games this year or something, he would become a UFA that season. And now, since he didn't, it's 2027-2028. But, hey, whatever. At least we get a little taste of it at the end of the year here because it's... 
no, no matter how bad they are, like they're second last in the league. Like, but Buffalo, if they'd have lost tonight, Buffalo was scarily close to passing them, and the Ducks would have been the worst team in the league. But when you look at yeah. the fact that this line is just so fun to watch, you don't even care right now. Like it doesn't even matter. Yeah, I mean, at least that's that's the fun thing to watch. I mean, um, aside from also maybe kind of that that backup thing. That backup thing of uh, Stolarz coming in and playing really, really great. I think uh, that's also been fun to watch. But, yeah, that line by itself has been just the best part over the last, like, two years to do. So, uh, or to watch. So, uh, I'm glad that there's finally some sort of chemistry. Just that they found something to work where all parts of that line seem to be in sync with each other. So, that's the line for a while. Yeah, and Dave saying in the chat that Saturday's game was great to watch. I think Blue was at the 6-2 win against the Kings. Um, Seagrass had a goal yeah. and assist in that game. It just looked like a yeah. fun game to watch. To... No, yeah, yeah, that was. I mean, we didn't end up, uh, you know, I don't know if we did a, do a post-game no. on that one, but that was that was a lot of fun. It seemed just finally blow up. But the, the, the thing is, too, like, in that game, had a goal and assist, and you're like, okay, like, finally. Like, you look at the last couple games they were together, probably could have had a couple multi-point games. You head to the first game against St. Louis. He hit the post twice, had a couple nice passes that guys either hit the post or couldn't finish on. Even this game, nice pass to come to, I believe, at the end of the third. I'm mixing up the end of the third in OT, but I think it was near the end of the third that come to, I got stopped. He had a couple nice chances mm-hmm. at one time on the power play as well that got stopped. You know, looked great in overtime. No points tonight, but you know he he's got three points in the last I think five games now. But it could be five. It could be eight. Like he's looked so dangerous. And then when you get have the numbers to back that up of of all three of them and how dangerous they've looked when you look at expected goals and courtesy four percentage and you know high danger chances for and everything like that, they've just been lights out. And then they haven't sacrificed defense because of that. I think that's the big thing is you knew this was going to be a fun line offensively. And then you, you always worry about them just being, you know, black holes on the, the opposite side of the puck where, you know, they're just getting shelled and, and hemmed in when they don't have the puck, but they've been a great four checking line. They've been good at getting the puck out of their own zone. They've been good defensively. There's really no fault to the way these three guys have played together so far. Yeah, I mean they're obviously you know they're they're not necessarily dominating, but give them a chance to kind of move forward as a group, uh, you know, and, you know, build upon that chemistry and uh, just getting that experience together. But they're tenacious, and it doesn't really matter if it's tenacious in trying to find each other for an offensive chance or hey that didn't work, but let's go get the puck back. All three of those those guys are still after the puck, which is fun to watch someone like go like, oh, I missed, but I'm not gonna go just run back to, to center and just, you know, wait for it to come back to me. I'm I'm gonna try and go get that back. And if we can't and the puck does end up getting in our end, they're still chasing it down because they want to create a turnover to start it the other way. So to watch that energy to want to Go get the puck, and, and, and if you lose it, get it back. That's that's what every fan would want to watch, in my opinion, where they would just, you know, that's just, you see that effort and that drive and that want to get the puck that has kind of been missing here and there over the last few years on, on almost all lines where it's like, well, I'm good at getting an opportunity, but if I miss it, 
I'm just going to kind of wait back here and figure out how the next play is going to happen. And these guys are just attacking at all sides. So that's all you want. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's literally all you could ask for is something fun like that to watch. And the fact that, I mean, obviously Zegris is, is more, I guess, defined as the kid or the kids coming up right now. But Comtois and, and Terry are still relatively young and, and considered some of the kids on this team. And to see all three of them gelling together on the line, like we've seen a bunch of different kid lines throughout the rebuild years that we've we've had over the last couple of seasons. This has been by far the most fun of all of those inceptions of the kid line that we've seen uh, with these guys together. And, it, and it's not really surprising that Trevor Zegers is kind of at the center of that. You know, we've seen come to Ontario together with different centermen over their time, and they've looked good. But as we've kind of said over the last couple of years, these are supporting guys. And when you put them with a guy to support like Trevor Zegers who can create things out of nothing, that's when you start seeing the magic happen. And and that's why we're starting to see guys like Comtois and Terry look so great because they are great role players and, and great players to have on a line with somebody like Trevor Zegers. You know, Comtois is a natural goal scorer, can get in the right positions. You know, he, He's kind of the bulldog of that line and then you've got Troy Terry who you know is as great as he is defensively is almost just as good a playmaker and and setup man as Trevor Zegers is and and then he's the right-handed shot on that line I mean how when have we ever seen Troy Terry's confidence this high where this I don't know he's pulling this 10 or 15 game (laughs) stretch for him where he's literally outside of Zegers is probably the second most creative player on this team with the moves that he's pulling off you know the passes that he's he's getting off, and obviously he's you know he's put the puck in the back of the net a few times. The pass tonight to Hayden Fleury on the goal was a great pass. He's just looked like a completely different player. And you know it was earlier this year that we were all criticizing him, and I was at the forefront of that, criticizing him for not looking that great, for being kind of a step behind all the other Ducks rookies. And then all of a sudden, you look at the end of the season here, and and if we put him in a group with Jones and Steele, and even Comtois, you could argue that, you, you could at least make an argument that he's done just as well as Maxim Comtois has this year. I, I think Comtois still takes the top spot, but he's ter- Troy Terry's definitely second among those guys in terms of their progression this year. Yeah, and Comtois uh, was so obvious early on. I mean, he was scoring just, you know, goals that, quite frankly, we were desperate for. So, you know, kind of just extra emphasized it. But it probably also put a little bit of a uh, a brighter spotlight on the fact that Terry hadn't quite hit that stride yet. Um, and I'll agree with you. And then same thing. I just I kind of written off Troy Terry for the most part because he just hadn't seen anything. And then over the last 15 or so games, uh, that's definitely turned around. I think everyone was kind of waiting for it. It just wasn't. I was losing confidence in if it was ever gonna happen. So it's good to see that it has happened. It's great to see not only, you know, him and Comtois, but that Zegras fits in that line and makes those guys, you know, even even better and gives everyone more confidence. Uh, and they're just they're doing so much more than they had at the beginning of the season uh, by being on the Zegras line. They're with Zegras on that line has made that that transition, I think a little bit easier throughout the season. So I think they're in a good spot confidence wise that they know that they're good, that they know that they're hemming teams in and that everyone's hungry to try and, and improve and get goals and set up plays. So they've got all the, the, the tool sets are there. So it's, it's going to be fun 
next season, not this yeah. one, but next yeah, one. for the, the last two games will be fun <laughs> to watch, and then it would just be hype building up for uh, for next year. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to talk about while we're kind of focusing on this line too, we've talked about their defense a little bit, but you know the broadcast mentions this probably about three or four times a game, but. Trevor Zegers's defensive commitment and just how well he's played. I mean, you know, faceoffs are faceoffs. You know, the the importance of them will vary depending on who you talk to. But he's been good in the faceoff that he, he's played against. I I don't know who his matchup was this game. I didn't really get a good look at it. But last game he was matched up against Ryan O'Reilly, one of the best faceoff guys in the league, and did an excellent job. I think of, of really matching up well against him. I'm not sure if he was matched with O'Reilly again tonight, but he did another good job in the faceoff dot. And then just being a responsible center, you know, for a guy who's so creative and and so you know offensive minded, minded, and looking to get off the ice and create, he isn't one of those players who just sacrifices defense at the cost of that. You know, guys like you know, Patrick Line and, and Ovi earlier in his career, and, and those types of guys where. Okay, you know, he's so gifted offensively, but we got to teach him the defensive side of the game. We're now getting a look at, you know, maybe what a lot of people didn't expect from Zegris is that he's a lot more developed on that side of the game on a very bad team, too. Like, it would be very easy for him to just not look great, and you could chalk it up to the Ducks just being a very poor defensive team and a very poor team in general. But he's looked great. Like, I can't, I can't really argue or dispute anything he's done since coming up four games ago or five games ago and, and shifting to center ice. He's done everything you would hope, you know, a center iceman would do. And, you know, things that we've kind of picked apart in Sam Steele's game and Isaac Lindstrom and some of the other guys who've come up and played center, they haven't really done that complete game where, you know, the, the defensive side of the game and the offensive side of the game are clicking right off the bat. Yeah, and, you know... And especially given that this is his first year, um, you know, just just removed from college, just removed from the World Juniors, just removed from playing in AHL, uh, you know, a couple stints already. Uh, so to see him already kind of have a grasp on all aspects of the game and start to be the most dominant line, uh, that's that if that's his his beginning baseline. That's exciting to to think about moving forward, about how much more that's going to progress. Every aspect gets better and better year after year, especially with someone as much potential as he has. And someone that is engaged in the game and wants to learn and get better because, I mean, he's always talking. He's he's yeah, I see him, you know, the cutaway before they go to commercial timeout. He's talking to the the refs about certain things and, and and he's talking on the bench. And so that shows me somebody who's who's enjoying the game but is also learning to get even better at it. So when you have that uh, enthusiasm to get better and you're already really kind of, you know, impressing at a very, you know, basic base level, that just uh, makes it all that much more fun to watch where his career is going to go. Yeah, I mean, you know, even just looking at, at next year, he's he's going to come into the season likely a you know few pounds heavier with some more muscle on, which is going to help his game. That's the other yeah, thing, yeah. Especially <laughs> down the middle of the ice, and you know, a couple of years down the road, just you know, I'm at, he's going to look like a completely different player in terms of his build and and what he looks like as an athlete. And you know, you think getting a few more weapons. Even if he's still playing with Comte on Terry, but on for the power play and you know, some more weapons in the Ducks lineup, that the focus isn't really on this line, because I'm sure you know we're going into these last two games against Minnesota, 
there's going to be a huge focus on shutting down that line because it's really the only thing going for the Ducks right now, and that's only going to continue to get worse as they they you know progress and and put up more points. Better, there's more yeah, notoriety. There's going to be a huge focus on on shutting those guys down. So when you get some more weapons in the Ducks lineup, with where the you know maybe they get some easier matchups for Trevor Zegras all that's going to just bode well for, for his production in the future and his development as, as a number one center for the Ducks. So it, 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 it's, the future's bright. It looks great. It, it's great to see this. This is what you all you would really want to see you know, at the end of the season here. Jamie Drysdale came back in this game. It was fun to watch him back. Yeah, he had a, a turnover that eventually led to a goal, but we didn't even expect him to be here with the Ducks this year. So be able to see Zegris take you know massive steps forward come to on Terry really get things going Drysdale adjusts so quickly and so comfortably to the NHL all of a sudden it doesn't look as dark and dim as it felt at the beginning of the season and then you've got another you know potentially the second best odds likely going into the draft lottery it may be a shot at the best odds if Buffalo can win a couple games here and the Ducks drop either one or two against Minnesota so you've got to you know, if you finish with those second best odds, the furthest you could fall is four, which would be the the highest yeah. pick the Ducks have had, I think, since Bobby Ryan at fourth overall. Yeah. And you, you're you know the draft this year isn't as great at the top, or there aren't as many headlining guys at the top as they have been in the past. But you're still adding another exceptional player to this rebuild that's likely a lot closer to the NHL than some of the other guys at the bottom half of this draft. So all of a sudden, you know, you're you're looking at three very talented key pieces to this organization potentially all being here next year depending on who the ducks take with that uh you know pick in the top four it, it's starting to look uh starting to look a little bit better you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel at least yeah it feels it feels so ducks to have this great opportunity and and no like legitimate franchise player coming into the draft like you've always had a franchise player over the last like five or six years and then finally we get that chance where we're getting a top four guy and possibly a top one guy and it's like well the top four they're you know take your pick they're all kind of the same or you know they vary very little but there's no like legit number one so it's like the one year where like we finally get that guy and then it's like oh there's really all right i'll well, take that guy i guess yeah <laughs> it just doesn't feel like it's uh you know like if this had happened last year and there's Lafreniere there and there's you know any other opportunity or you know um you know the year year before what was it Kako and uh, uh Hughes Kako and Hughes yeah Hughes you know so I mean you think like oh yeah whoever gets first is really kind of bumping up their chances like now whoever gets first is like yeah, they're bumping about as much as the guy who's getting second, third, or fourth. Yeah, and, and I mean, even it, it, it's a lot easier, I think, to say that when you're going into this draft year and there's no, you know, there is no race for one or two because there's a lot of guys in that mix. But not to say Hughes and Kako aren't going to be good or aren't going to be superstars or aren't superstars already, but the you know their progression to the NHL and to being superstars for their teams has been a bit slower. They, uh, they had decent rookie seasons. They've had a lot better sophomore seasons this year, but it hasn't been, you know, an Austin Matthews-type jumpstart to their NHL career. So, you know, just because there isn't that headlining kind of fight for number one this year, the guys at the top, we, we still don't know. And in a year where scouting has been severely hampered due to the pandemic, yeah. Yeah, they're not getting their yeah, chances either. You know, they're so. they're getting viewings, but how much of that uh, 
you know, how much of that would, would change in a regular season? How much would we have, a, you know, a bona fide number one and a guy fighting for number two? Um, if we had all these guys playing a full regular season this year, it's likely we would have that and, and we wouldn't really be sitting here saying oh one of seven guys could go first overall so yeah well once again it's it's just a very ducks thing to happen <laughs> now now we get the really good pick but hey we haven't been able to scout anybody because you know this is like the one year where everything just sucks <laughs> for actually being able to scout talent so you know but hopefully you know the ducks the ducks scouting staff is always top notch in my mind so uh, they can usually find find somebody, and you know it, it sometimes will work out. Not Nick Ritchie, but in other <laughs> cases, it works out every so often. Yeah, so. yeah, and, and <laughs> honestly, whether they fall at first, second, third, or fourth, um, you know the top guy on their board could be available to either one of those spots, just because it, it's yeah. kind of all over the place. And we had a question in the chat uh, from Jay Southern asking. You know where the Ducks could go. Whether it's a center, a scoring winger, a defenseman, they really have, you know, plenty of options at the top of, of guys kind of filling out all those spots. You know, Matty. What which what would you pick? It, it it's honestly tough. Like I'm I every day I feel like I'm I'm making a different decision on that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I I think bringing in a dynamic scoring winger would probably be my first pick. Just when you look at, you know, how well Trevor Zegers has adapted, Jamie Drysdale looks great, Hampus Lindholm's still going to be part of this team. Uh, but you can make an argument for all of them. Like, Dylan Genther would probably be my top pick because he's, you know, a complete scoring winger and can kind of do everything. And he's a lot closer to the NHL than maybe some of these other guys are. But, you know, Matty Beneers is projecting to be an excellent center and having a one-two punch of Zegers and Beneers in the middle for, for the foreseeable future, especially for, for you guys being two American centers down the middle would be, <laughs> would be a fun for a lot of guys. And uh, on defense, you know, bringing in another Hughes brother and having Hughes and Drysdale as your future one, two punch on, on defense like that. You, you can't really go wrong anywhere you go here. Unless you take the goaltender, unless you take Jesper Walsh. <laughs> no, there's, there's no, I don't think there's any way they're taking the goaltender. No. Now with Dostal back there, they've got their ace right now in Gibson and Stolzar. My mind is just done perfectly. I would probably say center because I, I just feel like they're going to need that. It seems like Henrique is is trade bait at this point. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to keep him until they can trade him, and that's about it. Uh, Getzloff, I mean, he's there, but maybe he's not. And then maybe, you know, it's a very smaller role. And then there maybe is your Derek Grants that, you know, sticks around on the fourth line. But I feel like, you know, as we start trying to move forward, Getzloff's going to be gone. Henrik will be gone. Grant, probably, unless he really turns things around, is probably gone. And I just don't see a whole lot of center depth other than uh, Ludstrom um, in the Ducks pipeline coming up so I, I would feel that they would maybe want to try and strengthen at least that that portion yeah we could always trade for that too, yeah but, but it, it is the hardest thing to get and and you know, one of the most valuable things to have in the league is two excellent one two punch centers down the middle and you know for the ducks to have a, a creative offensive dynamo like trevor zegris and then to bring in a guy who's more of like a 200 foot center in maddie beneers like you've got 
you know the perfect combo almost to have Beniers as your your second go-to option who you can also use on the penalty kill to shut down the opposition's best players and then get a better matchup for Trevor Zegers and send him out there uh, in a more favorable matchup for him to do what he does best right and you look at the Ducks system right now they have a lot of talented wingers who maybe aren't you know of that elite level of like a top five in the draft but come to Ontario proven that you know they're they're looking like they could be top six wingers for the Ducks in the future. So you've got, you've got two of those four spots potentially filled. Jacob Perot is still on his way, and I think he's going to be you know one of the Ducks' top goal scorers in the future, so that could be your third spot. And then if you really need another winger after that, you can get that in free agency. You can draft lower in the draft, and, and you know a guy might sneak up and, and be a, a talented winger there. So I feel like the winger side of things that they're – it may be easier to find. Um, yeah, might be easier to work out. Center is center's a little tougher. Yeah, center center and definitely defense. And, you know, I, I could see the Ducks going that. Like, if, if they have first overall, I could see them taking Matty Beniers um, and, and going with the one-two punch down the middle. But, you know, how does Bob Murray pass up on a 6'5", 210-pound defenseman in Owen Power? <laughs> like, it, there's yeah. a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of ways they could go. I'd be happy with anything. I have a few, a few of my favorites of, of who they could go for, but um, you know, it's it's not going to be one of those years where you know, Trevor Zegers falls to the Ducks at nine, and you're like, holy crap, like that's that's ridiculous. Like they're going to have a high enough pick where whoever's there, you you could, you know, it, it's going to be a good pick, and, and you can't really be mad with whoever went before, whoever came after. Like they're all kind of in that same grouping this year of a, a kind of a top five or, or six guys, so. But the only thing that's for certain is everyone will hate whoever Bob Murray picks. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like. There's only one doomsday scenario that's possible. I, I know <laughs> last year it was the Ducks taking Jake Sanderson over Jamie Drysdale, and that would be like the doomsday scenario of that day. And thank God the Senators bill is out of that. Um, yeah. We're not to say Sanderson's bad, but you know it was it was kind of the doomsday scenario that everybody wrote up to this year. It was really out of left field. It would be like I said earlier, if the Ducks took Jesper Wallstadt and took took a goaltender with their uh, their potential you know top five pick in this year's draft, that would be that would be unreal. Like that, that's the only way you fail with that. You could take anybody who's ranked in that kind of top seven in that spot outside of the goaltender, and you would do fine. You'd do fine with any of them. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I can't imagine the Ducks at any point feel that they're weak in the goaltending department and need to add a goalie. Yeah, they're so they're so high on on who they have that they're good. Yeah. Um, all right, we gotta we'll wrap up the come to Terry Zegers discussion here. Um, obviously, it's been a big talking point. Uh, I had a, had a few stats on them I already kind of mentioned here, but over heading into this game. In the four games that they've been together, they had a 64.2 Corsi 4 percentage, a 71.27 expected goals 4 percentage, and a 73.78 scoring chances 4 percentage. So they're dominating things offensively. Zegras has a goal and two assists in those five games. Comtois has a goal and one assist. And then Terry picked up an assist to go with the goal that he had as well. So maybe the point totals aren't necessarily there, but that's kind of to be expected the chances are there and i think that's the big thing is yep. you know the the points will come as long as they're continuing to get the chances and 
you know, you take a few of those posts that Zegras hit, that crossbar that Terry hit a few games ago, those go in the back of the net. You know, Zegras is sitting in five and five, Terry's sitting at three and five, Comtois could be sitting at three or four and five, and and that looks a lot better, right? So it's for me, it's the chances are there, and eventually the the production's going to come with it. Yeah, and I've always said that it's like that's that's why sometimes um, you know the, the the stats or the fancy stats or the advanced stats don't necessarily show what the eye test can. Where you can look at it and go like, man, they dominated. The shot just went a little wide, or you know, someone came in and just at the last moment they decided oh, I need to try and make one more move and it didn't quite work out. But if they're creating those chances, they're getting opportunities. Eventually, the more opportunities you get with that skill, it's going to go in. The fact that they're younger, they will learn a little bit more as they kind of get that experience of when to shoot and when 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 to pass and when to hold on to it and when to, you know, do whatever they got to do. So I'm a big fan of chances. I think that's what makes the NHL more exciting, not necessarily more goals, just that the opportunity is there, the excitement is there because it can be oh so close. And who knows, a goalie makes just a stupid save. You run into Jonathan Quick that one game where he's just making stupid saves yeah. and that he has no business making. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get games like this. And, and again, that, that speaks to the small sample size here. We're talking about five games. Um, and yeah. they still have three points, two points, and two points in those five games, which is really bad production when you look at how the Ducks season has been offensively for a lot of these guys. Like, that's up there with kind of top production for the Ducks over a five-game stretch, other than when Ricardo Raquel was going off there for, I think, you know, eight or nine games where he had you know, 15 points or something. That was kind of the best streak and, and best run we've seen. So can't complain. You know, the, they look good, and that's all we can really hope for. Um, it's a question from Jay Southern I want to cover before we move into their other topics. It was about Ryan Getzlaff. He said, I suspect Getzy returns for a year or two what are our thoughts on that situation? So, I mean, everybody knows this, but I'll outlay the situation. Ryan Getzlaff's a pending unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. His $8.5 million plus contract comes to an end. And, uh, you know, there's been rumors that he could retire, that he could come back for one year, two year, whatever. Uh, what, do you, what do you think? What do you think is the likely option for, for Getzy at the end of the year? I think he'll do a very similar thing to Ryan Miller, and that is to just continue to sign one-year contracts uh, that are probably going to be a little bit more team-friendly just to kind of get more leverage or more space to add in, extra talent to kind of help the team kind of grow. Um, You're not going to find more of a organizational guy than him. Um, So I think he'll be flexible. It's a very very um i'll say like a a bro relationship with uh the with bob murray but they're kind of on the same page it's like gets off knows he's in the twilight of his career his role will diminish but he still has leadership he still wants to be around he wants the ducks to be good if he can't contribute enough to be good as a player he'll step away as a player and i feel he'll still be around in the organization in some other capacity so this is a guy who is like yeah you know what i'm just going to look at my production i'm going to look at my family situation and see if these things are still lining up Uh, i don't think he's going to be trying to tie it into a long-term contract 
Uh, I think he's fine just doing the one-year thing and just taking it year by year, kind of see where everything's at. That's good for the Ducks, gives them flexibility, usually means they don't have to spend a whole lot of money, uh, and that well, that should work. I mean, this is going to be you know kind of a, a you know a collaborative union for the the next couple of years. But you know, he's he's got maybe another two years at most. I, I can't really see him going three years. Um, especially with uh, the age that his kids are at. I'm sure he's kind of in that transition to after hockey yeah. play uh, where he wants to kind of just be around, support his kids, have his kids grow up and that sort of deal. Kind of same thing Ryan Miller has talked about too. You know, hey, my wife's been my rock and she's been really great. My kid is trying to get into it too and I kind of want to be around, but I'm still going to be around the game in some capacity. Yeah. So I think it's year to year. and The Ducks can still use his leadership and a, a, a strong center. Um, so I, th- I think he does that just, you know, year by year. Yeah, and it's not like he's been bad either. Like he's still yeah. been a good player for this team. And I think in a better team, like when we looked at the fact that Vegas was interested in him at the deadline, you know, him being a third line center on a very good team, he's a valuable piece to have, not only because of his leadership, but he's still a good hockey player. Like he's not putting up the points he used to by any means but he's still making an impact offensively he's still a great player on the defensive side of the puck he's still an asset to this team even with them being you know not good right now so i i mean i think he's back for at least one year i think it was jay southern in the chat saying that like gets if he is going to retire deserves like a proper farewell um whether that's like a Kobe kind of you know farewell tour across the league where he's getting gifts and stuff from everybody, I don't think maybe gets he's <laughs> quite at that. Uh, I don't think it's quite yeah that that, level, that league wide level, but you know it would be something where we kind of hopefully know that this is his last season at the beginning of the year, so we can they can actually put some focus to a proper kind of farewell tour for for gets. I know. Miller and, and Backus here were kind of we we speculated it, but we didn't find out until you know the last handful of games here. I would hope if you know Getzlaff had was planning on retiring, it would some be something we knew kind of at the beginning of the season. So that <laughs> kind of like a Salati yeah. thing where he's like, all right, Bob, one more year. Yeah, <laughs> you threw his golf clubs into the lake. Except Salati recorded like two of those videos. Whereas, oh no, no, one more year. No, 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 one more year. I'm back. <laughs> oh, no, that first one. But yeah, I mean, I, I would expect yeah at a max two. I can't see him signing a three year deal. Even you know, even if he was eventually going to play three more seasons, I just can't see him realistically signing a three year contract. I think you know one or two is likely. I don't see him retiring at the end of the season and the fact that he's nearing a thousand points he comes back next year he probably hits it in a full 82 game season or he should hit it i think he's only what like 13 or 14 points away from it at this point under 20 i believe now so yeah he's back next year the cap hit i have no honestly no idea what what that's gonna look like the ducks will have some flexibility I, i think it's less than five it should be less than five um but on a one-year deal, you never know because you could really give them whatever you want, whatever the room kind of lets you. Don't you obviously don't want to go to the the cap ceiling to give him a lot of money, but we. And I don't I don't think he's looking for that no. too. I mean, he got paid on the last contract for sure because I mean he's been getting paid the last couple of years. Was it seven, seven million, eight million? Yep. He hasn't been producing at a seven, eight million dollar clip. So you know you, you sign that to, you know to to get paid. 
for what's going to happen over the years. So he signed a long contract with big money throughout it. So now it kind of depends where he wants where he, where he really wants the team to go because he should know I've made a lot of money. I can contribute, but not anywhere near where I was. Um, you know, I, you know, I almost kind of look more like back at like Joe Thornton and what he was doing kind of yeah. towards the the end time there with San Jose. I was like, he was signing one million dollar contracts. I don't think Getzloff's going to be that generous. Did uh, Jumbo sign like a one year seven million deal at one point? Oh yeah, he like did. before he did like a one year. Yeah, I believe too. he did. But there's yeah, that one so year I... where his contract was up, <laughs> and the first next <laughs> yeah. deal he signed was like a one year seven billion dollar contract, and then he like blew his knee out like ten games in or something it was like, like that. But, one uh... last final payday, <laughs> and then his plan after that was like, okay, I'm going to get one right, big play payday, for, for and now I'm just going to play pay get paid a league minimum for one year deals to try and win a cup (laughs) yeah so i don't i don't i think we'll get somewhere in between so i'm I'm, my hope is you know with getzloff he over an 82 game season he might put up 30 or 40 points so every 10 points gets you a million dollars so somewhere in that three to four million dollar range you know um one year at a time just see where that production yeah we're, we're not really at that point where the ducks need him to like sign a team friendly deal you know, I, he would. I fully think he would. But it's not like we. Well, I just think if he signs a three or four million dollar deal, they're actually, they just took off another you know three or four million off of whatever his old contract was. Yeah. So I mean, going from this year to next, they still have the same Getzloff essentially, but they don't have to pay him that extra three or four million. So. Yeah, but I, like I mean, it's it's not like the Ducks are competitive and they need that cap space for, you know, other players to kind of compete, right? So it's not like he has to sign a two million dollar deal to be a team-friendly deal to kind of get the Ducks uh, back into the playoffs or whatever. I don't think they're going to be at that point next year. So um, I, I can still see him, you know, taking a bit of a discount if he was expecting five or six and signs for three or four. I think uh, probably around the four or four and a half million is what I think I would expect it to fall between. But I know, um, I forget what the, I think it is Evolving Wild who has, or Evolving Hockey who has like a contract projection um, you know, model that they have out there, and they had him making just over two in in his contract. I'm not sure what goes into that in, into their model, but that would be surprising to me if he took just over two. See, I wouldn't be. And once again, it's gonna it's gonna come down to the generosity of of what Getzloff's willing to do. Like if if he goes to Bob, Bob's like, listen, this is this is our plan. This is you know for the next year. This is who we want to try and bring in, or this, that, and the other. Once again, I. It's a little hard for me to think, you know, just over two. But if he goes, like, listen, just, you know, find me for two or just over two. That gives you a, a ton of room to kind of work with and uh, see what you can kind of do. Because at this point, you know, I don't need to make a whole lot of money. I just want to do what's best for the team. You know, but I'm not going to do league minimum or anything because I'll be producing better than that. Otherwise, if you're going to pay me league minimum, I'm just playing for the love of the game at that point. But, um but I, I could see I could see three, three or four. Yeah. Um, like I said, somewhere between, you know, what Jumbo Joe was doing one year and the following year. So Yeah. Well, we go from one guy who could be retiring or could be signing a contract <laughs> to I guess two guys who are retiring and in one of them potentially played his final game of his career tonight in David Backus and you know, it's great to see him get recognized, especially in a, you know if that is his final game in in a place where he spent you know the, the really the prime years and most of his career in St. Louis. Uh, but there, there, 
you know, as much as I love the guy, there isn't really an attachment, I think, there from Ducks fans with David Backus and identifying him with the Ducks. Like, even with him being in Anaheim, like, you, I still identify him as a St. Louis Blues player. You know what I mean? Because of where he spent the, the main bulk of his career and where he did most of his damage as, as a really top power forward in, in this league was with the Blues. So it's nice that they kind of planned the send-off for him to get this you know, last game uh, in St. Louis of the season, you know, in in the city as well and, and have this send-off. It was nice for him. But the the big one, I think, for for Ducks fans, and there, there is a bit of an attachment with the team here, is Ryan Miller because he's been here for a decent amount of time now. He's done a lot for this organization. Four years. Um, and he's played some good hockey. Like, he's been a valuable player to this team, even this year, where he's, what, 41 now? And he he's done he's done a job as a forty one year old backup, which you know not many guys can say that. And he's you know he's hit all the milestones he would want to hit in his career. You know, he's got the most games played of any American American netminder. Does he have the most wins? He, he most wins, most wins. Yeah. over over Jonathan Quick currently. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Quick will likely pass that, but at least for now, he's got the yeah. the most wins and. You know, that that's the one I think that kind of hits you a bit more on like an emotional level with as a connection to him as a Ducks player and um yeah man it, it sucks to see him go cuz he's he's been a good player for the Ducks yeah i think it'll it hits everyone a little bit harder when uh, you know Miller's retiring versus a back is just because Ryan Miller's impact versus Backus's impact like Backus came in um, it was literally we were pretty much taking on a, a contract yeah. to to move out players, um, and so you know nothing against Beckus. Beckus had many great seasons in St. Louis, and like I said, that was it. And he bounced to Boston, had injuries, kind of wasn't quite the same player in that system, and they you know they they looked to move him out. We got him. Glad we have him. I mean he. he you know, not to, to say he was the guy who was going to be a savior or just put up all the points, but you know he, he I don't want to say served a purpose. It sounds like it was it's, it's callous, but um, you know it, it's it's someone that that did help in his own way, whether it's you know through through leadership, experience, something they can kind of pass along, and that's what you do at the you know towards the end of your career is you try and help the other guys learn what you've learned through the game. Uh, but with Ryan Miller, I mean, that was a guy who you, you we relied on. Gibby would either go through injuries or, you know, uh, bad spells. And, and it's it's really, I mean, for Ducks fans, we've always had good goalies, it seems like, for the most part. We've always had at least a, a one, if not a one-two. And he was so good at being a, um, in my opinion, still could still be a starter <laughs> quite honestly so we essentially had two starters and um you never heard you know any complaints out of him uh it was always you know year to year but he always wanted to play he always wanted to come back and he wanted to be you know with anaheim i mean at any point he, he probably could have had that chance to play over in la if he wanted to but he, he liked it here it, it kind of felt more like not only did he contribute more he wanted to be part of anaheim versus you know being being traded and you've got a contract that nobody else wants like like Bacchus. So I think that's kind of the main difference. But I think both of them have done a nice job for uh, for the team and the fans. 
I guess, for the most part. He's easily the best American goaltender of all time, right? The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. I'm, I'm, I have a hard time picking out somebody who's better. Um, the people he was close to in in, in the records he passed were Van Breesburg. Yeah. Quick is up there. Um, like, like Richter would probably be another yes. one. You know, I, just what he's accomplished. I, he didn't win a Stanley Cup, right? Miller didn't? No, he never did. But he also always played on just crap yeah. teams. So he got close with the The only Sabres. time he... Say, yeah, he got close, but I don't think he even went to the finals with the Sabres no, once. No, they were just a really and, good team I when mean, he was there, and they made it to a couple conference finals, I think. Eastern yeah. Conference finals, yeah. They made it to a couple conference finals. But, I mean, he, for him, for literally Dominic Hoshek, you would think that, like, oh, yeah, that's the, the best goalie ever for Buffalo. And then Ryan Miller comes in, and Ryan Miller you could easily argue has been the best goalie ever for Buffalo. So, I mean, the, even the fact that you're, you're able to compare a Dominic Hoshik, you know, be in the same conversation as that. That's great. And Buffalo, you know, they, they had some good teams, but I mean, they, they weren't ever lighting it up. Um, and so, you know, it was always going to fall on Ryan Miller to propel that team into a Stanley cup or to win a Stanley cup. Then he's on Vancouver uh, he spent a very brief time in St. Louis, uh, and then he was on the Ducks team that was good the very first season, and then what have we been the last three seasons? I mean, he's a great goalie that has had to carry pad teams for the most part, which which sucks, but I mean, at the same time, if you can do that for your entire career and not become obsolete or just be viewed among the league as like, wow, look at his numbers, they they, you know... You know, or look at the wins. Look at the the Stanley Cups. He doesn't have it. You know, we gotta get somebody younger, newer. He's playing in a forty-one. I mean, you, that longevity is crazy. Yeah, yeah, and, and even internationally, what he did too. I mean, he he played for the That's U.S. In, in a gonna bring it up. Yeah, in, in a tough time for their program. When you look at you know the powerhouses in, in Canada and Russia and even Sweden at the time as well. He was the face of that team at times, and and was the kind of the the only one of the only mainstays on that team, as a guy who was always going to be the starting netminder, no matter who else was there. And then obviously we we know the uh, the 2010 Winter Olympic Games, and and you know, he had a great game there it is. In, in that there game, it is. but ultimately <laughs> ultimately Sid was just too much there. But uh, yeah, yeah, that one Canadian guy. <laughs> uh, so Jay Southern in the chat had a question about. Uh, Miller, does he make the Hall of Fame based off his career? I have, I have a hard time seeing him not do it. The the one thing he really, in my opinion, doesn't have is just the Stanley Cup. But once again, I, I think if you look at the teams he's played for when he played for them, um, it's hard to to put it on him that he wasn't good enough to make it there. The fact that he's forty one. 
uh, and has played as many years. I think he came into the league in 2000. So we're talking about a 21-year career, the most winningest American-born goalie, uh, and his numbers speak for himself. So, you know, it's it's hard to, to win a Stanley Cup uh, in any fashion, but I have a hard time thinking of somebody who's won. And I still I think he's what, like – 14th all time he's got more than Dominic Hasek um you know he's got more than a lot of great great goalies and kind of like a, a Luongo situation it's like well do you really really fault the guy for not winning a Stanley Cup or you know you know so it depends if, if it depends where you place your value if it's about Stanley Cups then you probably say no but if it's a look at the body of work was he dominant and was he dominant in his era? And for how many eras was he dominant? How many seasons? Yeah. And you can always say Ryan Miller was always one of those top goalies. And even when he was a backup, he was a top goalie, even as a backup. So I think that in itself makes him a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and when we talk about the Hockey Hall of Fame, we always have to remember that it it's not just their success in the NHL as well. It's throughout NHL. their entire career. And you look at the fact that he has an Olympic silver gold medal. He's got two NCAA titles. He's got Ooh, a, a silver gold medal, the ever rare silver gold. Did medal? I say silver gold? He said, silver, he said silver gold. So he's got a, a <laughs> Olympic games, silver medal, uh, two NCAA titles, a Hobie Baker award, a Vesna trophy. Like he's got, I think just enough to do it and to get in there. And then obviously being, you know, the, the winningest American goaltender of all time, the most games played, like those things I think matter when you're looking at being inducted to the hall of fame. Is he a first ballot? Maybe not, but does he get in there? I think he does. I think based off everything he's done in his career, it's, it's hard to not put him in there. I, I think he deserves it based off, you know, just how good he's been for how long and, and how good he's been at every level of hockey every every level of, of his career whether it be internationally in uh you know in the ncaa and then eventually in the, in the nhl and even in the age when he was there for a brief stint too he was picking up awards uh in, in a couple seasons he was there so he's really gotten it done uh at every level but obviously yes that that stanley cup i think if he had one that would tip him over the edge and we'd be talking about you know he's a shoe-in for the hall yeah. of fame it wouldn't even be a question but then you'd also have to ask the same thing. I mean, if you're trying to do comparing it that way, what about Lundqvist? Yeah. Because Lundqvist has never won it. He's He's been to the Stanley Cup Finals once, lost to the Kings. Idiot. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, I mean, but you have to look at that, how, how dominant Lundqvist was for, for many years. And I, I feel like, you know, if you're going to look at an NHL career, it's like, were you dominant or were you one of the dominant players in your position for for how many years i mean you can do it for one or two years you start doing it for five six years it's like oh crap we got to play against ryan miller uh, this is going to be a little tough he's really going to bail them out a lot like i mean if that's it or it's like you know you're a winger you're paul korea doesn't win a stanley cup but it's like all right this guy he is dominant he is he's someone we're gonna have to work our game around i mean you do that long enough over a career that makes you Hall of Fame material, in my eyes. Yeah. I, Are you dominant in your position? Yeah, and, and even in Lundqvist's case, like, I think if you ask people, you know, is Ryan Miller a Hall of Famer? Is Hendrik Lundqvist a Hall of Famer? I think most people would say, you know, definitely Hendrik Lundqvist and then maybe Ryan Miller. But I think it's maybe a little bit unfair, too, because 
I mean, in, in career stats, they're and and accolades, they're fairly close. They both have one Vesna. You know, they both have that Olympic silver medal. Uh, well, Lundqvist does have the gold medal uh, at the Olympics as well. But you know, the Ryan Miller is a silver gold. He's a silver gold. I mean, you can't beat silver gold. <laughs> well, uh, Lundqvist is a gold silver. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a bit they, that's fairly close. Obviously, Lundqvist has the advantage in, in just you know the amount of games he's played and in total wins. I think he's got you know uh, close to eighty to a hundred more wins than than Ryan Miller does. So maybe he's a bit more. Uh, he's probably a first ballot. Where Ryan Miller, I think, is is maybe a first ballot, but likely a second kind of guy in you know second time around. But I think they're both Hall of Famers, I, I, and I think Ryan Miller maybe doesn't get enough credit for what he's done. Uh, over his entire career because he spent the last, you know, five or, or six years of his career as a backup where Lundqvist has been really a starter up until last year or the year before that. Um, and Ryan Miller, like you said, probably could have been a starter on a different team, but he chose to be close to his family and take a backup role behind John Gibson. And even if he had went to L.A., he would have been a backup behind Jonathan Quick. So he made that decision um, you know, for his family and, and what was best for his career at that point. But I, I think if he had have stayed a starter, this again wouldn't even be a question uh, of whether he is say, a Hall of Famer or not. Well, side note: Arizona lost to the Kings, idiots. Uh, so I think St. Louis uh, clinches that last spot. I believe. Well, good for them. I think that means uh, my prediction of the West Division came true. The four teams I had making the playoffs made the playoffs. So. Yeah, but you have Minnesota at four. Did I? I thought I was high on Minnesota. I'm gonna have to check the tapes no, on that one. No, you said you said the top three were solid, like completely locked in, and that was gonna be a Colorado, Colorado first, Vegas, then St. Louis, and then anyone could be fighting over these other spots. But I'm gonna go Minnesota. I think I think you're right, but uh, I am. I'm right. happy to be wrong because Minnesota was a fun team to watch this year. Yeah, for sure. This surprised me for sure. Um, all right, quick things. We'll we'll cover the the game, all right, just in really really brief here, and then we got to talk about the Tom Wilson incident because for the last <laughs> bit of the show, we got to cover that. But uh, basically, yeah. just kind of quick quick notes about this game. Uh, Volkov was out. And Danton Heinen took his place on the second line, and then obviously David Backus was the new face in the lineup uh, for his kind of night um, in this game. Uh, Steele came back in for Derek Grant and took uh, his place on the fourth line to play with Bacchus and Delorier. Drysdale came back in after missing the last game due to a lower body injury for Josh Mahura, and then Anthony Stolarz got the start with John Gibson getting the night off. Goal scorers on the night, Max Jones picked up a goal. It was nice, in the right place, and kind of a typical Max Jones where goal to deflect yeah. it in. That's where he's going to score most of his goals, yeah. so just keep doing and it. And Sam Carrick picked up uh, an assist, which was nice to see him uh, continue to get on the board. He's looked great since being called up to the Ducks, so I, I can't complain with his production. Looks like a, a shoe-in over Grant or, or Deloria or even Rowney when he's healthy next year as a fourth-liner for the Ducks. Yeah, yeah, especially he's willing to fight, so... Um, Quite honestly, we, we kind of need a little bit, I hate to say grit, but uh, we need a little bit more of that, uh, you know, stand up and fight. You can't just be Delorde all the time and nobody else. So. He just competes. Like, he just works hard. You just he love does, a guy yeah. like that. So, um, so again, if, if you're giving the effort, you're going to endear yourself to fans all over. So yeah. And to management, or at least it should. So. Yeah, yeah. hopefully it, it should. Um, Hayden Fleury was the other goal scorer for the Ducks, got his second of the game. Nice pass from... Ooh, or second of the, as many as Hockey Pop. Yeah, 
Yeah, Hakpa's too with Hakpa's goals with the uh, Hurricanes were nice too. He had a a booming slap shot from the point. I can't. I think the second one was a backhander. I can't remember it. I remember. I, funny enough, I was watching those two games where he scored. Of course. What do we do? He, to, he hasn't scored. Yeah, since. I'm surprised he didn't score any goals from blocking shots. <laughs> Blocks it on his own. I don't know how many own goals back he court. has. He might have four or five because he had a fair amount with the Ducks. <laughs> yeah, um, I love that guy. I can't. I can't hate him too much. But yeah, Hayden Flurry has has filled the shoes nicely. He's looked good. Um, he's gotten better. I feel like he's gotten better game after game. Yeah, I think he's kind of settling in a little bit better. I think making good decisions. Him and Drysdale have been a good pairing together, which has been nice sure. uh, to see Jamie back on the right. And then for you know, it's, again, just like the young kids line up front on Ford, it's nice to see kind of two of the kids in a sense. I know Flurry's a bit older, but two of the new guys at least gel on a on a pairing because we're so used to seeing the typical pairings. Over the last couple seasons, yeah. you know, Fowler, Lindholm, um, you know, Manson, now Shattenkirk, and them all kind of put together and Larson thrown in there and to see, you know, Drysdale make the team, which we didn't expect at the beginning of the year, and then Flurry to come in and them to do so well together. It's it's one of those bright spots. It's nice to see them mm-hmm. uh, do well together. And then, you know, some exciting overtime play, and then Troy Terry plays hero in the shootout. Zegers came close to scoring, uh, just kind of stuck mm-hmm. to the back foot. Of Bennington, but uh, the shootout master Troy Terry getting it done, pulling mm. off a nice move. Yeah, he almost he bobbled the crap out of that one. Too. Still got it though. He like I thought I thought, it, I thought it was gonna lose it. I was like, damn it, damn it, Terry. Because of course, Allers is talking about how great he's been in the past, and then he just starts bobbling on great. Allers jinxed him. Uh, I I wasn't particularly uh, impressed with uh, Zegers's move. I I never like it when someone comes when a player comes in and then just slows up yeah. and then just starts doing like a billion different moves to try and get a goalie to all of a sudden, if you're going to get a goalie to bite, you come in with speed and make it happen. Cause then they got to make a quick decision. If you're sitting there going slow and you do like 80 different moves, unless you're Patrick Kane, yeah. which I guess he's trying to emulate. Um, unless you're doing, unless you're that guy, it's, it's kind of easy for a goalie to just kind of wait. And then when the, the, the flick of the wrist happens, you drop and, Unless this guy's putting it into a corner, you're probably in good shape. So I would always say go as quick as you can. Pretend someone's right on your ass, and you've just got to try and make a quick move because those are the ones that are harder for goalies. Yeah, he, he's got he's got the I hands think. to do it. Um, and and he, to be to be yeah. honest, he he played it well despite coming in fairly slow. He he his play there was to open up the five Should've hole. Yeah. Uh, I'm telling him. This is how you're supposed he, to. He should have. I I agree. I I, will, I like it when he, they come in fast. I think it. it and, and putting a move on the netminder, it's a lot harder for them to stop it at that point. He did open up the five hole. He just didn't really get all of what he wanted on the shot and shot it a bit closer to the pad. But he's going to get plenty so of chances. I'm an expert. Trevor Zegris needs to listen to me. One, you know, he, he should emulate uh, Barkov. And his, Barkov, for me, is... God, you and your Barkov love. He's the, the best shootout guy since Datsuk in the sense mm-hmm. that yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. know... Uh-huh. Yeah. You don't know what's yeah. happening. He's got seven or eight different it's direction, moves, right? So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe Zegers will get to that point. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> all right, Tom Wilson. We have to get to this. I know Pat and Jay, or not Pat and Jay, Pat and Steven. I'm right here. How are you? Doing? Pat and Steven were uh, eager. <laughs> no one knows who I am. Discuss. I'm always somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> we were kind of. I mean, you weren't as adamant uh, on this point in the chat, but. Pat and Steven. No, you guys, you guys were losing your s over it, and I so I just started 
throwing out funny memes and gifs, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't like it. Uh, I think he, I think Tom Wilson crossed a line. Uh, scrums happen. Uh, I'll give you that. Um, but you know, if you're looking at it, Tom Wilson's stick is under Bushevitz's uh, throat, and then he's punching his head on top of that. I don't care if he's got his glove on. He's punching and trying to lift his stick. That's that's not good for anybody's neck in any situation. Yeah. So that alone seems like egregious to me, and maybe you know oversteps the bounds of what you should be allowed to do. Um, and to just be slapped with five thousand dollars just does two things. One, it pisses off the team. Uh, probably pisses off the regular people. Uh, but I can also understand that maybe it's because it's also Tom Wilson that a lot of people seem to be getting far more upset. Yeah. Um, because you know, just the uh, very next day, uh, Crosby's doing something that he shouldn't be doing either. That's punching a dude's head into the ice. Um, and people aren't nearly as upset about that. So my stance is something that egregious where you can look at it and go like, in no way was this acceptable. And giving him a $5,000 fine is literally not going to make a single bit of difference. He's literally going to go like, okay, well, as long as there's a scrum in the net, I can kind of do whatever the hell I want because it's a scrum. Yeah. And I don't think that's the message you should necessarily be sending. Scrums happen and like the Panarin thing, that it was, a, it was unfortunate. But when Panarin goes in and becomes part of the melee, and he's picking up a you know, picking, you know, a fight essentially with a bigger guy, even if he's defending his teammate, he's gonna have to realize you are about to engage in some sort of physical altercation. So you better be ready for it. And if you're picking on a guy much bigger and stronger than you, and you think, well, I just jumped on his back and that should be it, and he starts ragdolling you, then you're in a you're you're kind of putting yourself in a spot that's that's gonna be really hard to defend. Um if Tom Wilson pulls Panarin out of a pile and starts ragdolling him, then we got a different situation. Um, but my initial, my biggest problem is just what he was doing to Buchevich the whole time. Was That was my biggest thing. And that's what ended up causing all the other things that happened afterwards. So I think the initial action was the thing that should have been suspendable, not necessarily what happened afterwards but i think it led to that that's my thought. yeah and, and i think you know pat's whole thing of this and obviously he'll come on and defend himself at, at some point near the end of the year here later time, but he's not here yeah. now so he's was that that scrums happen all the time and we're only mad because it's tom wilson which i think is half true like you said the crosby incident the night after wasn't maybe as bad but it was still comparable you know pushed the guy's head into the ice a couple times which, you know, I, I think in, in both instances, if you're going to suspend Tom Wilson, or we all think Tom Wilson should have been suspended for that, I think there's an argument that Sidney Crosby should have been suspended for that play as well, or, or maybe at least a fine. But when you when you have these situations, I, I think, you know, the, the big problem that I, I heard from a lot of people is that, you know, they, they people still kind of judge everything by this code, you know, the code of, of players and whatever, and Tom Wilson should have known that he was 50 pounds heavier and four inches taller than 
Artemi Panarin, it means he should have backed off. You know, that I, I don't really care. Like, you know, Panarin's jumping on his back. Wilson has every right to defend himself. The way he went about it was reckless and stupid and deserved a suspension. I don't think just because Panarin's smaller and he's a superstar that means Tom Wilson has to back off. I don't think I think that argument is, is ridiculous. Like JG Pajot is small as hell, but he'll get in your face and he'll try and fight you. And does that mean, you know, every enforcer has to back off because a small guy is coming after him? I I don't think so. I don't I don't I wouldn't support that side of the argument. But it doesn't excuse the fact that what Wilson does did was ridiculous. And whether he did that to Panarin or Puchnevitz or, you know, a fourth liner or a no name, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't mean the fact that he did it to Panarin makes it any worse, or at least it shouldn't, just because Panarin's a great player and he's a superstar. You know, punching a guy's head into the ice when he's on the ground is not okay. And pulling a guy to the ice, whether it's in a scrum or not, I don't care. You know, a guy with no helmet pulling him down to the ice by his hair, head first, is a dangerous play. It's a reckless play. And when you have those plays happening... I feel like the Department of Player Safety needs a bit more, you know, leeway to make a decision without interference from the NHL where they can look at that play, you know, whether the rule book says it's okay or not, I really don't care. You can tell by that play it's reckless. That should go into the decision. How reckless of a play was it? A guy got injured. It wasn't a head injury, it doesn't matter. He got injured, he's out for the rest of the season. Panarin is. And prior history should go into that as well, which it does on some occasions, but it should have been here. Tom Wilson has been suspended this season, I think, for seven games. Been suspended multiple times throughout his career and has a history of these types of, of reckless plays. Like, I don't understand how you come out of this without a suspension for Tom Wilson. Um, and, you you know, a $5,000 fine is okay. And I think that's the big problem I have with it. And, and the big problem I had with the guys in the chat was trying to absolve you know, perils from the situation and saying it's just the league and it's a league issue and Peros is a puppet and he does whatever the league wants. Some of that might be true. But at the end of the day, Peros could have made a decision, went against the league, suspended him because that was the right thing to do and he didn't. So I, I would think that in this situation, Peros and the league are equally to, to blame for not putting the right decision out there. And when you go in, you know, what did you expect in this game? He didn't get suspended. You knew he was going to play the same team a day later. And we get six fights in the first four minutes of the game. And Wilson gets a misconduct. And then magically, <laughs> it has an upper body injury for the rest of the game. It doesn't come back. Oh, and then the game calms down. And then nothing happens for the rest of the game. You know, at the very least, you, you have to have some sort of understanding that if you don't suspend him, this was going to happen. And more guys could have got hurt because of that in this game you know six fights who knows how those go and some dirty hits and some dirty plays happened in that game and more guys could get hurt at the very least you should have suspended him for this game and him not take place in this game just to avoid what took place tonight and more potential injuries this this whole thing (laughs) it's just (laughs) It was handled so poorly, I don't know, on, like, every single level. Um, And, yeah, I mean, what I also just 
found just hilarious. It's just, yeah, oh, he's got an upper body injury from the two fights he had. <laughs> and it's like, how much is that upper body going to injure him and keep him out of the lineup next game? He'll yep. be back out there. He was out there tomorrow in practice. I guarantee it. That was pretty Scratched much, hey, listen, <laughs> about, the, yeah, about the only other thing that's going to happen is you're going to have to get one more fight. That'll be your third, and they're going to kick you out. So why even risk it? We'll just move along from this. But even then, it's kind of like... Or get involved in something that does get you suspended. (laughs) And you do miss time in the playoffs. That's the last thing the Capitals want is Tom Wilson missing time in the playoffs. He's, you know, as scummy as he is, he's exactly the type of player you want to have in playoff hockey. Because outside of the nasty and, and, you know, unethical, whatever you want to call it, things that he does, he is a type of player you want on your team. Plays on the edge. He's a physical player. He's a power forward. He, he's got enough skill to put the puck in the back of the net. He's going to stick up for the, the star players on your team. And the only problem is he, he goes over the line sometimes in, in a dangerous way. But Yeah, and, and like Steven also said, is you, you won't catch this guy fighting other, other heavyweights. He, he tends to end up getting in fights with guys who are smaller, who are you know, not necessarily fighters and don't have a whole lot of fighting majors. So it seems like he kind of picks his targets a little bit better. But you're 100% right in that um, Tom Wilson is the way – this is my opinion, I guess, a little bit – is that's the way you'd want – a player to play hockey he can he can score he can set up players he creates space and he's an intimidating player uh to play against and that's that's how you want to do it he plays it on the edge uh but too often some players even though they play it to the edge they they overstep that line and he, I feel like he definitely did it on this one he's done it in the past already been suspended earlier this season um and then if you're truly caring about player safety, you have to look at, well, has this person learned from any other suspension or fine that we've done? And it didn't look like he learned. He flexed in the in box my opinion. after, he, he, after he, taking both yeah, of the yeah, guys exactly. out. He, was, so. like, he, he thought he was a badass. He thought he was a rock star. And at that point, it's like, okay, so the message ain't getting through. And uh, giving him a $5,000 fine isn't even going to do that. He goes, okay, so everything I did, as long as it's in a scrum, I can kind of do whatever I want. I mean, obviously, with some exceptions, he's not going to happy Gilmore and take his skate off and start stabbing people. But there is, you know, he's his, his threshold to be able to do what he wants is, is a little bit wider. He realizes, okay. I can ragdoll somebody. I can I can start punching people in the bottom of the head, and it cost me five thousand dollars. Let me wait twenty minutes, and I made five thousand yeah. dollars. And there you go. Yeah, so it's a, it cost them twenty minutes of game. Give me time. seven games and get in the clear a little bit of between one instant to another, and I'm okay, right? And and it, yeah. it starts painting like a dangerous line of what's okay and what's not okay in this league and, and a lot of it's to do with the inconsistency of the NHL and the Department of Player Safety of their punishments that they put out there. It needs a whole we've been saying this for years, but it needs a whole revamp of how they they assess these. And I think a lot of it has to do is that the Department of Player Safety needs to be able to operate without interference from the NHL and the, from the PA. They they need to be able to make these decisions as an independent party and their punishments are upheld. There's no 
way for the PA to appeal. There's no way for the NHL to get involved and say, no, 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 that's not, that's not okay. Uh, and then the, the panel itself would obviously have to be picked carefully and properly. But there needs to be something that happens because we've been talking about the inconsistency forever. This is another chapter in a long book of inconsistency and, and ridiculous calls by the Department of Player Safety that lar- largely kind of hinder on, on the rules and the way the rules are written in terms of misconduct and, and how you can punish players in this league. Uh, and, and clearly something's wrong. Um, and, and this is where you get into the issue. Like I said, you're painting a dangerous line of, you know, players start to see, okay, I can do that. All right, I can do that, and I can only get a $5,000 fine. Like if Wilson only got a $5,000 fine, I might escape with nothing because this guy has prior history and was suspended this year. If I do this, you know, then I, I might get away with nothing or I'm, you know, I might get a warning or a slap on the wrist or whatever, and you start getting these other guys who are players like Tom Wilson who say, okay, this is what I can get away with. And in a playoff series, you know, maybe I can throw... Panarin down to the ice or Crosby down to the ice or whatever and I'm, I'm not going to get you know suspended a couple games and this is not going to hurt my team I might be out for five minutes or whatever or get a penalty on the play but uh, you know I did my job and and that's where you get into you know these dangerous situations of guys kind of start thinking this is okay and guys like Tom Wilson start thinking okay you know I now I know what I can get away with and I you know my like you said, my threshold has gone up. I can start doing this, and this is the max I can do until I do something a bit worse. And okay, do I get away with it this time? And where does it go up the the ladder here, where the one thing he does is is so bad that he finally gets suspended for it, right? And, and you don't want that to be severely injuring a player, but that's where you kind of feel like it's going towards. Yeah, and once again, I, you know, I'd steer personally away from what happened with Panarin versus what happened with Bushevich. Uh, the the fact that he was down on the ice, prone position, literally Tom Wilson's stick is on the dude's neck, and he's lifting with the stick and punching down on his head. That's where I kind of go, dude, that's not $5,000. I yeah. mean, that, that's, that's a potential serious injury. Um, the Panarin thing, once again that's maybe more of a scramble and you know the outcome wasn't that great and obviously he, he you know, maybe was a little bit over aggressive but at the same time you know it's, that doesn't bother me nearly as bad as the play that initiated everything afterwards so that's where i would would have focused a little bit better where you can make a discretion that is absolutely reckless it puts somebody in immediate harm um and, and he looked at it. He saw it. He knew where his stick was. You know it's under underneath the dude's neck, and you're punching. Yeah. And for, for a play that's done, it's over. There's no need for it. If you want to wait for him to get up and push him and then you know, maybe start a confrontation after, I get it. But the dude is prone. He literally can't move all that much, and you're just sitting there lifting and punching down. Yeah. There's an intent to I mean, that's, there. That, that's where I, I start going, okay, dude, you, that's you, something more than $5,000 yeah. because that's just that's just obvious to like, me. And like I said, at the very least, I don't understand how you don't suspend him for I the next game where you're playing the same team. Like, how do you not sit there? We all knew this was going to happen. Like, I sat there and joked to you guys, like, oh, I'm definitely starting Tom Wilson in fantasy because he's going to pick up some penalty minutes <laughs> yeah. for me because it was so obvious. That went well for Like, you. he was... <laughs> definitely going to fight he was likely going to get a game misconduct and he got both and the caps felt like okay well we're gonna 
you know, it's obviously not 100% confirmed, but we're going to make up an injury, and he's not going to play for the rest of the game because, one, we don't want him to get injured. We don't want him to get into something where he can get suspended from, and they take him out. And, you know, we, it, it was just Why, why so would obvious. you throw him out there? It's just yeah. a super distraction for the rest of the game. Yeah, it, so, it was just so obvious this was going to happen. So, uh, it is obvious. Which yeah, is why I don't understand. But... Like, I don't understand how you give a, just not even a one-game suspension. I don't think that. they can really come out and say, listen, they're just going to fight him, and we really don't want him to fight right now, so we're just going to take him out. And so I think they're going to come up with something. Uh, no, with obviously the, the Caps have to. They can't say Maybe that. he's scared. <gasps> Maybe it's a mental thing. <laughs> but I, I mean, I mean like, on a league level, like – at least hand out a one a one game suspension, and maybe they felt like they can't because if they handed out a one game, people would, you know they they felt like if they suspended him at all, it would have had to be more than one game. And, and I think everyone would have thought that that it was because of what he did to Panarin. And yeah. once again, I, I think if you if you look at you look at that, then yeah, I can, I can see where you maybe don't give that, but the fact that you can look at what he did to. You know, you know the the prone player. So that's that's the one where I felt like one one game was at least definitely warranted just because just because of how reckless it is. Yeah. So what if it's a scrum? But if you go recklessly, if there's a scrum there and you take your stick and just smack someone on the side of the head, well, it was a scrum. These things happen. Yeah. yeah no, that's reckless. That's yeah. that's intent to injure. That's exactly what he did there. He and, used and, very poor judgment. And there's there should be a bigger punishment than just a five thousand dollars slap on the wrist. Yeah. And and the Panarin thing didn't even come up into their decision when they actually mentioned the five thousand dollar fine. It was just the Butchnevich thing. And I think a lot of it probably hinged on the fact that Butchnevich didn't actually get hurt and didn't have an injury on the play. I think if he did, they would have got a suspension. I don't think it matters. I think the play, play was reckless and there was intent to injure. Whether he got injured or not shouldn't necessarily factor into you know, the decision on 100%. whether it's a suspension or not. I think it maybe could factor into how long a suspension is, but it shouldn't factor into should a guy be suspended because there was, like you said, clearly an intent to injure there. Um, and and a, a play where a guy could have... You could have held up there and, like you said, waited till he got up and sure, punch him if he gets up or whatever. But punching a guy's get, get, head, get up and as he's getting up, punch him in the shoulder and like, what yeah. the hell are you doing? And it started a conversation that way, but just the, the way he went about doing it was just, just yeah. it's reckless and, and you got to be able to kind of like check that person. And go like, listen, no, 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 you, you you can't do that. You can't act that way. You know, you're mad. Here's how you deal with it. We're gonna suspend you a game. Learn your lesson. Don't do it again. We've warned you. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many more warnings this guy needs, but it's a pattern at this point. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I can't wait to hear uh, Pat uh, <laughs> uh, Stevens' eventual. Oh, they're screaming thoughts on this. I think Stephen went to bed, so he's not. Or, I mean, he he just got the vaccine, so who knows what happened to him? Yeah, but... he's probably curling up in his, uh, <laughs> his uh, sweater that he has that was knitted. Oh yeah, nice the infamous sweater. Um, but anyway, we'll, uh, we'll be back after the wild series. Obviously there's only two more games this, this year, uh, it's back to back Friday, Saturday against the wild. So as is always the case, we won't be live after Friday. We are planning on hopefully being live for a final post game on Saturday, but Saturdays have kind of proved to be uh, difficult this year for us scheduling a show. So if we're not live with a post game show on Saturday, we'll just be recapping, uh, the entire season as a whole, 
uh, which we're planning to do a show like that anyway. It's like a season recap and, and kind of looking back on everything, looking at the season as a whole. So if we don't have a post-game show, the next show we do will be that season recap. If not, we'll have both a post-game show on Saturday and an eventual season recap. Uh, that will be coming out shortly after. So you can look forward uh, to those two shows. Um, I know we had originally planned to do a Pucks and Brews uh, last weekend. I was out of town. And, and uh, the guys were busy. I know Pat was at the game on Saturday night. Um, yeah. So we were, were a little bit busy and preoccupied last week, but hopefully planning for that uh, either this weekend or the weekend after that, depending on how the postgame show goes yeah. <laughs> for this weekend. It'll be weekend. tough this weekend since it's Mother's Day. Yeah, Mother's Day and the potential postgame go- show on Saturday and planning a season recap show. So that will be coming soon. We owe uh, our Patreon guys a, a couple of those. But uh, I got a couple of really fun games too that'll be funny plenty of time <laughs> coming up in the off season to make up for that and record a bunch yes. of these and put them out so if you haven't checked out the patreon yet we're about to be ramping up the content because we're gonna have a lot of free time on our hands to record these episodes so there'll be a lot of shows uh, going out there i know steven and uh, jay have a bunch of ideas for uh, different topics and different uh, types mm-hmm. of shows that we could do um, and and that's where likely potentially our kind of Seattle preview could land on there another draft show different things like that are, are going to land on there so so it's only five bucks a month if you want to uh, help us out and, and you know help support the show and you get some extra content for it uh, as well and you get to engage with us all the time in discord which is either a blessing or a curse so yeah, you can see Eddie's pretty face more often yeah exactly I don't know if that's a, a benefit or, or a negative as well but uh, yeah. Let the people decide. We'll, we'll let, yeah, we'll let the people decide. <laughs> but uh, that that will do it for today. Thanks to everybody who's, who's sticking around. A uh, bit of a longer show because we wanted to cover the, the Tom Wilson situation. But uh, stay tuned. We'll either, like I said, be back Saturday or be back for our season recap uh, in the next coming weeks here. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye, guys.